Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers. I'm Dustin Walters, and I'm joined today by two of your co-hosts and co-authors of the blog and podcast here at Everyday Theology. I'm joined today with Ben Campbell and Matt Honeycutt. We exchanged one Matt this week for another Matt, <laughs> uh, but we're so thankful to be back. And today is for Lindsay and Friday. Um, so today we're going to continue our discussion in our 94th episode of the podcast here. It's really crazy, guys, to recognize that that God has enabled us to do this and that we've already got to this point where we're at episode 94. Absolutely. And it is good to have Matt Honeycutt back on the podcast with us. Matt, how's it going? Uh, it's going good, guys. Good to be back with you. Um, you know, it, uh, I know we got a good lineup today, so I'm excited to be back. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on today. Always happy to have you on. And, uh, our readers online and our listeners as well uh, always enjoy your content, and and uh, so we all hope that you enjoy this episode. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, this is for Lindsay and Friday because it's the first Friday of the month. Keep in mind that six episodes from now uh, will actually be March the 17th, and we will be airing our episode 100. I can't believe that we're coming up on that time. But to celebrate that milestone, we are actually going to be having some freebies and giveaway uh, giveaways. We're going to encourage you to stay tuned to our podcast as well as our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we will give you some more information about how you can enter yourself in our drawing for some everyday theology swag. And with that being said, we can now transition to... Wisdom from Brother Four Lines on the Doctrine of Sanctification. Yep, absolutely. Keep looking out for those uh, those giveaway opportunities. Um, but today we are going to be discussing sanctification and specifically um, how that follows in relationship to justification, but how it follows in um, sort of our, um, and when I say our, what I mean is the believer's life uh, and pursuit of holiness and godliness. And uh, so I, I want to start out, guys, um, sort of just, as, and again, we're walking through four lines, but I think it is important to sort of talk about justification and its relationship to sanctification, because uh, four lines tells us this, you cannot have sanctification without justification. Um, you're not, these two things are not mutually exclusive. Um, so let's talk about the relationship between justification and sanctification. Um, how, how does that work? I want to speak into this just for a moment and, um, think about this in light of what happened prior to the Protestant Reformation. So I did a paper on justification for some of my graduate studies. And what I came to realize is that, um, even before Luther, there were, uh, people in the Catholic Church that were talking about atonement, which has implications on justification and sanctification. So, Ben, your point about the relationship between the two, prior to the Reformation, it, there was this emphasis on sanctification, and that was sort of a fully orbed perspective. Uh, it wasn't until after the Reformation that this distinction between the two came about. You know, I wanted to add to that. That's very good. Uh, 
Dustin, Ben, I wanted to add to that too, you know, from a, you know, a pastoral standpoint, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of, we come across a lot of uh, parishioners in our, you know, in our, our ministries that uh, don't really understand these two and the dynamic between the two. They don't realize that they have to have both. They just realize they have to have one. And uh, even if they don't know the, the actual definitions or the even words that we use uh, about these two topics of theology, they still um, need to be uh, kind of educated on that. Because you have many people, I think, especially in the American church, that are holding and clinging on to justification without sanctification. Uh, essentially, they, as I explain it, you know, and I know that uh, Dr. Penson has explained it in his uh, foot washing book, um, justification and sanctification are like a, you know, present a, more of a, a full orb salvation. And uh, without that, it's almost as if you're trying to, you're trying to play with half of a ball, you know, try to play basketball with just half a ball. Uh, that being justification is impossible. So you got to have both in order to have the ball to play ball. Uh, and so that's kind of the way I've explained it to my church members and others that I've come across um, in trying to show them that it's not just about justification. It's what's the outgrowth of that? What, what, uh, what goes along with that? How does that, um, how does that translate into good works? So I just wanted to say that real quick. Uh, that was one thing that, that came to mind uh, as I've taught about this in the past is that some strictly hold to justification and they don't really see the importance of sanctification. Oh, that's exactly correct. Um, four lines, I think it, it's helpful. Four lines tells us that justification is positional and sanctification is experiential. So in other words, justification is what makes us right with God. Um, and it's only logically positioned, um, pun intended, uh, before sanctification in the order of salvation. Um, and this is, I know we're, we're, kind of getting ahead of the game and all this and I didn't I don't really want to necessarily go down this road but but this is one of the um one of the primary arguments against Calvinism for four lines is that for regeneration to precede faith it means sanctification must precede justification and that is not not logical it's also not how the Bible describes salvation. Um, but most importantly, I mean, we're not here to talk about justification, but you you have to have justification in order to have sanctification. But your justification is only dependent upon the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. Those observations are very important as we think about justification means how we can be positionally right before a holy God, even though we are sinners, through Christ's atonement, then that leads us into our conversation on sanctification. Um, and Four Lines, actually, his, his way of describing this relationship, brothers, is beautiful in that uh, sanctification deals with the problem created by depravity. And Forlon says, sanctification changes our experience with God and with sin. In other words, as people who affirm free will, we 
also affirm human responsibility in relationship to a pursuit of holiness. That is not the originating cause for our positional standing before God, but it is a result that works from it. And I think Reformed Arminian doctrine, though not perfect, more than any other doctrine that has been articulated in church history, most describes the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and we find that expressed in Forlan's view of sanctification. You know, talking about, and we've talked about Calvinism and Arminianism here, and Calvinism kind of, I guess one of the fallouts probably from that doctrine to many who don't really fully understand it, and uh, I'm not knocking Calvinists, don't take it that way. Um, I think a lot of my Calvinist brothers, but I'm saying that some of the fallout of that is that you have some who uh, who cling to to that uh, justification, and they feel as though, well, you know, the sanctification bit doesn't matter because you know I'm held by God, and I can't, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to walk away from my salvation. I'm not going to uh, unbelieve or whatever. So, yeah, you know what I'm getting. Yeah, your your security. That's what I, that's the word I'm looking for. So they they feel their security is okay. So people feel that uh, that gives them a license to uh, not pursue sanctification. Four lines is is kind of adamantly clear in this in this chapter, which is chapter twelve, by the way. I don't know if we ever mentioned that chapter twelve in Quest for Truth. But to sanctify something is to make it holy, um, and so the only way we are made holy is by having a relationship with God. That, of course, is where justification comes into this this relationship because we don't have a relationship with God unless we're justified by the active and passive obedience of Christ by faith. Um, Fourline says Mm -hmm. there is no holiness without a relationship with God, and he even says that a good moral person is still an unholy person. So he he gives this analogy of like – of of – somebody who may not be a believer, but we say is a good moral person. You can you can do morally good things and still be unholy um, because because there's a difference between goodness and morality more morality and 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 having good morals and being holy. And so that's that's where this idea of sanctification, positionally, we're right before God experientially is the process and the progress of growth, that is is from our point of being born again until we die. Um, and so I, I'm glad Matt's on here because um, that the goal of sanctification is the restoration of the image of God in humanity. Um, because again, as as created beings, we were created uh, as image bearers, and of course, the fall has distorted that and all all, of that um that happened in genesis one and two and three um but one of the things that we still have contained and um and still possess as even fallen individuals and a fallen humanity is uh the likeness the image and likeness of god that is that we have we are persons and that we have personalities and so that goes to you know the free will question um so um what let's think about it this way is talk about the relationship whoever um 
between the the sovereignty of God in salvation and in sanctification, um, which we know is a a, a part of sanctification or salvation, but also libertarian freedom. Ben, you're we're just highlighting so many important emphases here. And and libertarian freedom is an important descriptor, though to be distinct from libertarianism in the American political system. If you want to learn more about what libertarian freedom is, um, look at Four Lines. Uh, he gives a great explanation on the different types of freedom, not meaning individual autonomy. Um, but anyway, so how this relates to sanctification is – Integral. There, there is an inseparable link between justification and sanctification. And Ben, I appreciated that you highlighted um, the positional and the experiential. So, positionally, where we are redeemed, we're washed by the blood of the Lamb. Experientially, we are saved and being saved. This week, this conversation actually came up in my place of employment. I work with unbelievers, and they're unbelievers on different levels, different phases of of their journey of life. And one of them the other day had a question, and they were talking about um, if God knew that moral perfection was not possible, then why does he expect us to be morally perfect? Well, in the context, I wasn't able to reply to that person, but only to listen. But the answer to that is in a full-orbed understanding of Christ's death on the cross and how that impacts our day-to-day life. One of the most common—this is grassroots, brothers— one of the most common reasons why people tell me they don't believe in Jesus is because of the hypocrisy they see in Christians. Christians need to heed that call, recognize and repent, walk in holiness and pursue it. And yet those who struggle to believe in Christ because of the hypocrisy of Christians are missing an important understanding on the doctrine of sanctification, which as you pointed out, is both positional and experiential. So what is the goal of sanctification? Well, again, again, the goal in sanctification is the restoration of the image of God and the likeness of God in humanity. So again, we have a constitutional likeness and a functional likeness, Fourline says. Constitutional likeness embraces our personhood, that we are thinking, feeling, acting beings. Functional likeness takes that personhood to sort of a an action verb level in that in the in that it embraces personality. Um, so so in other words, uh, I, I love what four lines says about this um, on in Psalm page 226 in quest, but he has a whole section of two or three paragraphs where the section heading is persons, not puppets. And and this is again this is not, uh, you know, four lines would agree with this as well, I'm sure, and it's not original to anything uh, that that we have to say. But I think this is again a a good solid critique of Calvinism. It's not ad hominem. It's not straw man. Um, but but what four lines says is that our actions are to spring from the inner re- realities of our personality. Um, so. What that means is that we're both dependent and independent. Um, we're dependent on God because we we are not holy without God. We're not holy without um, the person and work of Jesus Christ 
and basically in one way or another, you could probably say an imputed holiness in one sense. I mean, we're justified and holy because of Christ's work and his life and death on the cross. Um, but at the same time, we're independent in that we're human beings and we make choices and those choices are not outside of us. They're from within us. They're our choices. Um, and so they're not, they're not someone else making that choice for us. They're our choices. And so the goal of sanctification is for believers who are uh, free to think with their minds, feel with their hearts and act with their wills. That total personality approach to theology that four lines has, uh, are to are to intentionally make choices that affect their lives and hearts and minds in such a way toward godliness and holiness. And the doctrine of sanctification is such a rich doctrine. I mean, you talk about the the actions springing from inner realities and how how that kind of paradox exists between dependence on God and independence of God. There, there is no doubt that that an Arminian will will concede that there are various influences and factors the Holy Spirit will use in a person's life to draw them to Christ and to produce that that holiness to renew that imago dei in that individual. Um, there are no doubt influences, including the Word, the Church, the community of the redeemed. Uh, influences in one's life, psychological background, personality development. But where Arminians distinguish themselves from the cultural argument at large is that the cultural position is that whatever happens to an individual is just a result of mere circumstance. That's Freudianism, and and that's problematic from a biblical worldview. And I think that Reformed Arminianism on the doctrines that are most important from Scripture, including justification and sanctification, Reformed Arminianism shows the way in which God relates to us as persons, persons who can think, feel, and act. And uh, the relationship between how we act and how we respond to God and how he influences us is fascinating. And in many ways, it's a great mystery. And yet it is expressed most clearly in the outworking of our justification through sanctification. Yes. And that kind of, you know, don't just tag teaming on what you both said, uh, you know, um, sanctification requires a level of obedience that is, kind of open to us through the forgiveness of sins and the new created person that we are, our, our, our person being free from the bondage of sin. Yet we still have a choice to be slaying sin. As John Owen would say, we need to be slaying sin um, in our lives. And so we do that, uh, that God has given us the tools because he's already freed us. And so there is a level of uh, personal commitment that we must submit and obey to God because he has justified us and uh, that will bring about sanctification. So, you know, even though God is the, is the major architect of it, even though he's, he's laid the foundation, he has wooed us, he has given us justification, which we had no, we didn't contribute to. We just accepted as a gift that we are also, um, uh, we, we join in that in the sanctification aspect that we are to, continue to obey to the standard of God and what he has asked us to do. And when we do not, 
thankfully, there's that verse in 1 John 1, 9 that tells us that we can confess our sins so that we can be cleansed of those um, and to carry on in our sanctification. So, um, yes, it's unfortunate that, uh, that sometimes unbelievers will point out um, in their rebellion that, uh, you know, you Christians are not as, as uh, holy as you think you are. And uh, that's absolutely true. You know, we're still struggling with our sin. We're still struggling with obedience. But at the same time, we have a choice. Uh, We can choose whether to obey or disobey. And uh, those who have been truly set free and they have seen the beauty of Christ and they are continually allowing uh, God to work in them and the Holy Spirit through sanctification uh, and uh, as imperfect as it is, um, will show forth that that um, uh, we're not superhuman. You know, we're not otherworldly. We we are Christians who live on this earth. We are people uh, just trying to also um, understand the world around us. And God has given us the best answer um, to our questions. Anyway, I, I'll uh, I just wanted to add that. I thought that might add to the conversation. Yeah, I think uh, First John is a good, a really good book um, of in the New Testament, kind of encouraging us to continue sort of plotting in that sanctification process. You think of First John one nine, First John two, uh, brothers, I write these things so that you may not sin. But but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And um, we were studying in our small groups um, the uh, the book Gentle and Lowly, and we actually studied this verse that is um, that is uh, the Advocate verse of chapter uh, John, First John chapter two, verse one. We have an Advocate. And one of the things that Dane Ortland in that book um, says is that Christ in our ad, in his advocacy of us as believers, um, every single time that we commit any sort of sin, whether subconscious or consciously, um, Christ is there to represent us before the Father and say, he is righteous because He's placed his faith in me and my finished work on the cross. That is uh, what can keep us going. There is no, uh, Corey Ten Boom said this, and I love it. There is no pit so deep or dark that God's love is not deeper still. Amen. And, mm-hmm. and, and there is no reason why any believer should ever have to uh, fear um that process of sanctification, I, guys, we all know this. Sometimes my sanctification is one step forward and two steps back. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, yeah. my sanctification is one step forward and two steps back, and and so it's 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 comforting to know that that our sanctification is the product of our justification, Absolutely. and so and so we don't we don't fear our standing before God when we do mess up because, because we're justified. And so we continually be sanctified. So how then does sanctification work? What's the scope of sanctification? There are four basic relationships that Forline outlines 
really kind of aligning himself with an Augustinian Aristotelian framework, I would argue, and and maybe you could even um, write a paper or thesis on the Forlensian Aristotelianism or something. Um, but Four Lines outlines the four basic relationships which every human has a invitation and a responsibility to maintain our relationship with God, others, ourselves, and the created order. By the way, I appreciate that Four Lines adds the created order to the four basic relationships. That does not mean that Christians should not use the resources on earth. The creation mandate was that we would be stewards, that we would manage this good earth that God has created until Christ establishes kingdom on earth. And yet, there is a biblical imperative to prioritize how we relate to God and other people and how we relate to ourselves, which we live in a society that focuses on self all the time. And we never focus on others, but it all starts. There is a a logical sequence to if our relationship vertically with God is off, then our horizontal relationships will be off. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Brokenness in human relationships, brothers, is not a new phenomena. And yet, as we relate to God as the Creator, Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and, and all its fullness. Colossians talks about Jesus being the the supreme one who, who was present at creation. How all that relates back to sanctification is, sanctification expresses itself through the four basic relationships, which four lines further articulated through the paradigm of the four basic values. Yeah, and the four basic values are important because um, he he says that life is moral, that these values are sort of the way in which we guide our the functional likeness of God in us through holiness, love, wisdom, and ideals. In other words, um, you know, is it right or wrong? How can I show my concern? What is the best judgment? Um, what is good, beautiful, and excellence? All of those questions are the way in which we sort of have an outlook on life, and but it affects how we act on what we think and what we feel. Um, so in, in a really um, sort of just plain Jane sense here, um, it, it sanctification affects the total person. It affects the way we think, feel, and act. And so this is important on so many levels, and I'm not going to get onto a bunch of kind of tertiary issues here, but but we are to live holy lives. We are to be wise. We are to be loving. But we also are to um, value beauty and excellence and, and majesty because God is majestic and he's beautiful and he is excellent in all that he does. Um, and, and that then, I think this is an important way to sort of close this chapter out, is that results in uh, this sort of paradox in how sinful humanity can still be sinful, but yet live a life that's pleasing to God. So we live a life that's pleasing to God first and foremost, 
because of our justification that we're justified in Christ. He's our um, he's our representative. He's our advocate. He is making intercession for us as our advocate. But at the same time, we are free to make choices and we please God through those choices. Um, so that, that's sort of how how four lines brings this this whole process and whole conversation of sanctification um, back to the total personality. He says on page 242, he says, it is within the framework of possibilities for him that would be humanity to please God and to live right. Now, that framework of possibilities is what Four Lines describes as libertarian freedom. There is a libertarian freedom that we all have that exists in what Four Lines calls a framework of possibilities. Um, so, guys, any kind of concluding thoughts here um, as guaranteed results of sanctification and how we can live lives pleasing to God while still being completely uh, sort of struggling with, um, you know, that sinful humanity nature and that sinful nature? I appreciated, Ben, that you highlighted that this this really all goes back to Paul Lindsay total personality. He's not the only one in history who's ever articulated it, but in our tradition, he has most uh, art. He has he has best articulated the the how that all these different things impact the total person. Now, another thought is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? in cultivating sanctification because the fruit of the spirit that we know love joy peace patience kindness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law sometimes we preach on that brothers and we get it wrong because we preach like you guys need to be more loving joyful patient kind and all that but what we fail to to mention in those sermons is that this is a result of the holy spirit working in your life to conform you to that imago day that we've already talked about. But the role of the Spirit does not exclude human responsibility. Yeah, I just want to, um, you know, say I had, that brings up an illustration that I had heard, and you you guys have probably already have also heard about it. Uh, Dr. Penson had evidently quoted um, or was just reiterating the thought about uh, of someone who was talking in relation to sanctification, and uh, he was trying to come up with like a, a real world analogy or illustration, and and uh, our part in that uh, primarily, and so he is he's kind of he says just to picture an ambulance, and uh, and to picture that ambulance, and that you are in that ambulance, and a patient that's in there, and is is. Um, laying on the gurney and is flailing their arms. They don't want any care whatsoever. That is a disobedient um, patient. They don't, they're, they're, they're kind of rejecting what the medic wants to do to them in their lives. And so it's the same thing is that at, like an ambulance and a patient on a gurney, uh, as Christians, we are on that gurney and uh, we're on that bed. We are, we must submit, we must allow uh, the Holy Spirit as a medic to work on us and work that that through us. And so I thought that illustration was pretty apt, um, you know, that we are to submit to the Spirit. And that looks, that's a whole other discussion right there. You know, what does it look like to submit to the Spirit? 
And uh, that can entail many things, such as reading and obeying God's word and how we interact with others. That willing obedience to the Holy Spirit, by the way, Robert Piccarelli does an excellent job describing that in his little book, Discipleship. I think I think really the book Discipleship mm-hmm. could have been renamed Sanctification's Implications on the Disciple or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so much, so many ways we could go. Paul in Galatians five, uh, walk in the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's writing to Galatian believers. He's writing to the churches in Galatia and. And he's saying there's a possibility that you will wake up today and you will gratify your flesh. And it's a daily battle we must wake up and decide. I mean, I as I, I know, Matt, you probably say something similar and Dustin, you as well. But but I, I, I tell our church, I say I tell them you have to wake up every day and and declare somebody as king of your heart. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be Christ. And mm-hmm. I mean, it is just a daily waged war and battle. Well, Abraham and, uh, Kuyper famously said, there is no square inch under which Christ is not king. There's no little mm-hmm. hole or hidey hole. And and that has implications on how we relate to other people, culture. All of this goes back to that work of sanctification that's being wrought in us, through us, and for our good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, dear listeners, we we hope that this conversation of sanctification is is not something that is overbearing and it's not something that defeats you as a believer. Um, we want you to know, and again, this is not a podcast on justification, but we want you to know um, from Scripture that when you trust Christ by faith as your Lord and Savior, you are made right with God. Your sanctification has nothing to do with your um, with your positional standing before God. That is what justification does. Your sanctification is the product of that. So um, be encouraged today that you can uh, you can please God with your life because of what Christ has done on the cross. Dustin, uh, say a little bit more about that giveaway and uh, close us out here. So we we are going to be giving a, having a giveaway for our listeners. We have some um, neat things, at least we think they're neat, that have Everyday Theology logo on there. Um, and here's what we want you to do to get entered into that drawing, which we will draw after. Uh, we'll draw. We'll discuss this later when we'll draw for the gift. But we're we're going to actually have. Um, a little journal that has Everyday Theology written on it, and uh, we're looking at some other products. But here's what you need to do, dear listener, to get in on that. We need you to like all of our social media pages, Everyday Theology on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We also need you to not only like, but follow and share. So, And we'll actually create a post, Ben, that I think will be good if we create a share post for everybody to just share that one post, then we'll track uh, who shares it and engages. Uh, we are really excited that you all are still here with us, and we just wanted to do this giveaway um, just to say we appreciate you listening in and supporting what we're doing here at Everyday Theology. We're grateful for all of our listeners and readers.